Well, good morning. Let's try that one more time. I hate when they do that when I'm in the seats. And let's try that one more time. Good morning. Yeah, good. Everybody's awake. My name is Craig Eckright. I'm on the team uh, here at Grace Gathering. I'm normally in the new, in the east location. And uh, I think I haven't been here since the first week of January. Something wrong? Oh, I don't mind. Thank you, Brian. Uh, let, me, let me pray for us before we get started. Can you join me? God, thanks for the opportunity to share from my heart today. Thanks for what, you're been, what you've been doing uh, in my in individual life, um, in this area, in our family's life, in this area of uh, simplicity. And I just pray, God, I know this is not a profound message. It's um, the words that I say. Uh, there's nothing deep and, and meaningful to them. But I know that if we grasp this message, that you can do incredible things and you want to do incredible things in our life. Um, and so I pray this morning that your spirit would be heard, your message would be heard, and that message is always profound. We know that you speak truth. And so, Lord, we pray that you speak truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, 12-year-old Cynthia and her father had been planning the date for months. They had a whole itinerary planned down to the minute. She would attend the last hour of his presentation in San Francisco, and then she'd meet him in the back of the room, and they would leave quickly before everyone tried to talk to him. They would catch a trolley car to Chinatown, eat Chinese food, which was their favorite, shop for a souvenir, see the sights for a while, and then catch a flick, as her dad liked to say. Then they'd grab a taxi back to the hotel, jump in the pool for a quick swim, order a hot fudge sundae from room service, and watch the Late Late Show. They discussed the details over and over before they left. The anticipation was part of the whole experience. And this was all going according to plan, until, as her father was leaving the convention center, he ran into an old college friend and business associate. It had, been, it had been years since they'd seen each other, and Cynthia watched as they embraced enthusiastically. And his friend said, in effect, I'm so glad we're working together again. It's great to see you. When Lois and I heard about it, we thought it would be perfect. So we want to invite you, and of course Cynthia, to a spectacular seafood dinner tonight down at the wharf. And Cynthia's father responded, Bob, it is so great to see you. Dinner at the wharf sounds great. Well, Cynthia was crestfallen. Her daydreams of trolley rides and ice cream sundaes evaporated in an instant. Plus, she hated seafood. She could just imagine how bored she was going to be listening to the adults talk all night. But then her father continued, but not tonight. Cynthia and I have a date, don't we? And he winked at her. Cynthia grabbed his hand and they ran out the door and continued with what was an unforgettable night in San Francisco. As it happens, Cynthia's father was the management thinker Stephen R. Kobe, who wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, who'd passed away only weeks before Cynthia shared this story. So it was with deep emotion that she recalled the evening in San Francisco. His simple decision, she said, bonded him to me forever. Because I knew what mattered most to him was me, she said. Stephen Covey has all kinds of quotes that he's noted as saying, but the, uh, 
the one that I want to share with you right now is, he, remember, he's the one that, that, that penned the phrase, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Most of us have heard that before. Well, we're in our last week on the spiritual disciplines, and uh, today we're going to look at the, the discipline of simplicity. And we have defined the spiritual disciplines as the regular and consistent decisions and actions that cultivate one's spiritual relationship with God that are rooted in biblical practice and modeled by Jesus. That's not very simple, is it? <laughs> Some examples are Bible intake. These are all, all things that we've looked at over the last six weeks. Worship, giving, solitude, prayer and fasting, and simplicity. And some things to keep in mind, again, as we go through this, there's a list of things to keep in mind. Go ahead and put all those up. They're actions that we make. So disciplines are actions, and they begin with decisions. They're a means to the end. They're not a means in themselves. The goal is to become more like Jesus. It is completely possible to practice these disciplines and not grow spiritually. When practiced rightly, we're drawn closer to God and become more like Jesus and most of them can be practiced on your own and also in community. Well, like I said, today we're going to look at simplicity. And um, it's, a di- uh, uh, it's a discipline that helps us keep the main thing the main thing. And it's a discipline that combats the ever-growing complexity of life in today's world. I don't need to tell you life is getting more and more complex. But I'm going to give you a couple of, sorry, they want me back. I don't want to stand up here. All right. I'm going to give you a couple of examples anyways. In 1887, on September 17th, the U.S. Constitution was signed. The U.S. Constitution in 1887 was 21 pages long, and it was for a nation of that time of 258 million people. A 21-page document for 258 million people. In contrast, sometime in 2012, the, the uh, owner's manual for my Nissan Frontier was written. It is 384 very detailed pages, and it's for a car that seats four very comfortably. Ridiculous. And I never use it because I already know how to change the light bulb, uh, which is probably three or four pages long. And this time of year, uh, we all are thinking about, or maybe not thinking about, taxes, And there's an image I want to show here of what the tax law has looked like over the past many years. In 1913, there were 400 pages. And by some estimates, in 2014, over 74,000 pages in our tax law. So it's getting more and more complex. It's not slowing down. And what about the options that we have today? All of the food options, the product options... It's uh, 30% better, 30% more, redesigned, new and improved. Those are all things that we hear. They're all things that uh, attract us. And have you been in the dairy aisle lately? I mean, how many options of applesauce and yogurt, how many do we need? Does anybody remember when grocery stores sold groceries? Now they sell everything. And it's not just that. Department stores sell groceries as well. Everybody sells everything. And yet every time I go, they never have what I need. Thank heavens for Amazon. And our calendars are really no different, are they? Our weeks are packed. There's never enough time in a week to get everything done. 
Work is never done. I've always got something else to do. Vacation doesn't come soon enough. And when I do finally get to go on vacation, I can't relax until the last day when it's time to pack up and go home and start all over again. And the byproduct of this is our hearts, our souls, our minds, our bodies are tired and cluttered like a teenager's bedroom. Envy, stress, anxiety, worry, ultimately health issues. Do you feel me? Does anybody feel me? It seems to me that if someone were to want to keep God's people from doing God's work, this would be an excellent strategy. Very slowly, very subtly, have them desire things to the point where they've pushed and nudged the king in his voice farther and farther from the center of their lives. The Christian discipline of simplicity is one of identifying and eliminating distractions so that we can listen and respond to God in every moment. I love the way Eugene Peterson says this right here. He says in Romans 12, verse 2, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking about it. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I want you to remember these words. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. We have to think about the things that we own, the things that we buy, the things that we do. We have to think about them and don't just let them seep in. Don't let the enemy do that. So here it is more simply. Today, if you leave, I want you to remember this. To simplify, this is an artist who came up with this quote and I thought this is great. I don't know that he's talking about God, but this is great. To simplify is to eliminate the unnecessary so that the necessary may speak. Capitalize that necessary and I think you've got some spiritual truth that's found in scripture. To simplify is to eliminate the unnecessary so that the necessary God may speak. But don't confuse simplicity with being simplistic, simplistic, because simplicity and pursuing it is not an easy task. Albert Einstein says, any intelligent fool can make things bigger and more complex. It takes a touch of genius and a lot of courage to move in the opposite direction. So today, I'm not giving you five steps to a simple life. That's not what you're going to hear. Um, that's why it's called a discipline. It's not easy. However, it does begin with one thing. It begins with desire. You have to desire to want to, to listen and respond to God's voice. And you have to desire to evaluate your stuff and your time. It starts with desire. This um, image has been one that's really helpful for me with all of the disciplines. But specifically, we'll look at it today with simplicity. So everything begins with desire. This outer ring um, is where it starts. What we're trying to get is the target, which is delight. We, wanna, we want it to be a part of who we are and we want to delight in those disciplines. But there's a gap between desire and delight and that's what we don't like and that's discipline. <laughs> so we want to go straight from desire. I want this. I want to experience this. When I, when I pursue it for a couple of days and I'm not, it's not working, I give up. 
We don't realize that there is a, there is a discipline in between desire and delight. And this is true for anything that you're pursuing. But specifically, like I say today, we'll look at it as spiritual disciplines. The call to a simple life is throughout Scripture. You can probably open the Bible up and read whatever is in front of you and see the element of simplicity being called for in most places. We're going to look simply at two very familiar stories, and we're going to look at how the characters in these stories allowed distractions to redirect their heart away from God. The first one's in the book of Luke. And it's in chapter 10, beginning in verse 38, if you want to join us. We'll have some of it, uh, if you want to join me, some of it will be on the screen here for you. But it's a very familiar story, again, of the woman named Martha who gets an unexpected visitor. Uh, I'll pick it up in verse 38. Now, as they were on their way, Jesus and his disciples, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So Martha was frantically preparing her house to entertain Jesus and his friends. Cooking, cleaning, dusting, changing toilet paper rolls. All the things that are necessary to entertain Jesus. And when she complains, Jesus says, Martha, Martha. Uh, At one point when I was reading this, I thought maybe Jesus was angry at her because she hadn't chosen the right thing. But that Martha, Martha indicates affection that he has affection for her, he cares for her, he loves her. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and stressed about much serving. Only one thing is important, and Mary has chosen what's best. See, Martha was, was so distracted by the activities that her culture had taught her were the activities that were necessary. Martha was distracted by activities she thought were necessary, and therefore she missed out on the one thing that was necessary in that one moment. So, do you have the desire and the ability to look at your schedule and look at the things that you're doing because culture expects you to do that or someone else expects you to do that and it's not allowing you the time to to listen and respond to God or it's getting in the way of listening and responding to God. What activities have you deemed necessary that may be causing distractions to the voice of Jesus? To simplify is to eliminate the unnecessary so that the necessary may speak. Our last story, second story, is from the book of Mark in chapter 10. Jesus is teaching the crowds in chapter 10 of Judea about various things, but essentially it's what kind of heart enters the kingdom of God. And as he begins to head away, a rich man runs to him, falls on his knees, and asks Jesus, how must I, how can I get eternal life? How do I get eternal life? He says, good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? Jesus says, you know the commandments. You're a wealthy Jewish man. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. The man says, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And then Jesus cuts to the heart when he says this, Mark 10, verses 21 and following. 
Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Again, there's affection, not condemnation. And said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And you'll have treasures in heaven. And then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus is saying it's not about doing. It's not about keeping. It's about what has the throne of your heart. What's occupying the throne of your heart. The man claimed to be righteous, but he was distracted by all of his assets. He let his dumb assets get in the way. My wife told me not to say that. But it's not ironic that Jesus didn't mention the first commandment in his list of commandments. He starts with do not murder. He didn't say do not have any other God before me because he knew that's exactly what this man did. This man had took all of his stuff, all of his wealth, all of his status and put it to the top and made it his God. And so he went away sad because he couldn't imagine life without his God. Are you willing to look at your stuff and ask yourself, what place does this have in my heart? Are you willing to lay down your stuff and listen to where, what things are, are, have a hold on your heart that shouldn't? To simplify is to eliminate those unnecessary things so that the necessary can speak. So two stories about two very different people from two very different walks of life, but the same lesson. Distractions lure us away from listening and responding to God. Again, I said this is not going to be a profound message, but if we get this, if we get this, and Jesus becomes the center of everyone's heart in this room and not any stuff or any activity, can you imagine the kind of difference that we can make as the people of God? So the question for today is what is one intentional decision and action you can take this week? One, to identify and eliminate something that's unnecessary to make room for God's voice and his will. It doesn't have to be drastic. You don't have to go home and dump everything out. You don't have to erase everything in your calendar and start from scratch. But we want one step. Mother Teresa, I think, was one that said, uh, I'll probably butcher this because I hadn't planned it, but I remember M- Mother Teresa was confronted with someone she was helping, and she's like, what difference can you make? Look at all the people that are sick and hurting. What difference can you make uh, in the world? She goes, I may not make a difference in the world, but I make a difference with this one person right here. And that's what we're talking about. Think small. What is one step you can take? I just want to give you a few ideas and maybe one of these will um, catch hold of you and you want to try it. The first one is to begin your day with what I call a three, two, one, go prayer. It's a real simple prayer. Three, two, one, go into your day. Three minutes of praise and thanks. Uh, I actually did it this morning, rolled out of bed, down on my knees and praised God for three minutes. Thank you, God, for, I heard the birds chirping. Wasn't that amazing? This morning, walking in, hearing birds again. So thankful for spring. Thank you, God, for your creativity for spring. Two minutes of request. And so um, what do you have for me today? So God, this is my plan in my head mentally. This is what I have planned today, but I don't want to do my plans if they're not yours. So what do you have for me today? And then who do you want me to bless today? I'm going to see a lot of people today. How do you want me to show your love? How do you want me to demonstrate your love? 
And then one minute of silence. And if you do it first thing in the morning when you roll out of bed, that one minute of silence is the most dangerous part because you might find yourself asleep on the floor. But that's a three, two, one, go prayer. Uh, Robert Brault says, enjoy the little things for one day you may look back and realize they were the big things. I don't want to get to that point. A few other ideas. First of all, Stephen Covey, another quote that he says is, the key is to not prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. So essentially, don't be a slave to your schedule. Let your schedule be a slave to you and what what God puts on your heart. So one, first one would be evaluate your schedule and your routines. Um, So take a look at your calendar, the routines, the things that you do, and uh, be able to uh, evaluate those for how effective they are at, at accomplishing what it is you need to accomplish. Schedule a Sabbath. How many of you practice Sabbath, like one, the one day a week thing, no work, no activity? One person? You do realize it's like right next to do not murder on the Ten Commandments, right? Yeah, I'm not real good at it either. How many of you have committed? No, forget I won't ask that question. Okay, next to murder. Uh, schedule a Sabbath. Make it a priority. A Sabbath is a gift to us. A Sabbath is a stop work order in the middle of work undone. It's a gift from God to remind us we are not God. The world goes on without us. The Sabbath gives you a chance to stop and say, God, you are God. My work will get finished when my work gets finished. I want to do what what you want to do. Silence your notifications. I did that a long time ago, and I can't, I can't tell, begin to tell you the byproducts, the, the benefits of doing that, silencing notifications. Somehow or another, my Instagram and notifications got turned on again, and it's driving me crazy. Delete your social media apps. Uh, I did that as well, but um, it takes more of a, a heart to avoid the internet and everything else to find out what's going on in Facebook even when you don't have the Facebook app on your phone. I'm finding that possible. Delete the social media apps. Those two things alone will add hours of peace to your day and time to listen to God. Stop multitasking. Uh, I read a a book these past few weeks. Um, I can't remember the guy's name now. I did a couple of weeks ago. Greg Anyways, he's a real estate mogul, the, the largest real estate business in the world, I believe. And he wrote a book called One Thing, but essentially it was that, one, figure out what that one thing is that you're going to be about and, and do everything that you can to reach that one thing and start very small, he talked about. What is the one thing I can do now so that the things, the later things are either unnecessary or easier? To do? What is the one thing I can do right now? And he says, his research says that we lose, the average person loses 28% of an average workday, 28% of an average workday by multitasking. Because what we do is we don't really multitask, we task jump. So we go from one task to the next. So you're really not working on this thing while you're working on this thing. That's multitasking. And he says it takes time to get back into it if, when you switch between tasks. He says, multitaskers make more mistakes, they make more poor choices, and they have more stress than non-multitaskers. So here's the lie that we believe. Multitask, this is from a place called Demotivators. It's a demotivational poster, the opposite of motivate. 
The art of doing twice as much as you should, half as well as you could. So the reality is your work is less effective when you multitask. So catch yourself multitask, what I've been doing through the, through the last few weeks. Catch yourself multitasking and stop and say, I'm going to put this one over here and I'll do that tomorrow or this afternoon. I'm going to work on this until I make some, some headway. Practice simple speech. Um, again, simple speech is essentially not coloring your language to make yourself appear better or worse or casting blame. Simple speech is answer, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Practice simple, simple speech. Speak less and listen more. Covey also says that um, we want to listen with the intent to understand rather than the intent to reply. Do you realize you do that? When you're listening to somebody, what you're usually doing is thinking about, okay, how am I going to respond to this? How am I going to reply to this? What do I have to say? What is, what is it in that story that I want to share? So he says, listen to understand rather than listening to reply. It's just a simple, a way to practice again. Simple speech, simple listening. Ask more questions is something that helps in that regard. As it relates to your stuff, give something away that you love, not just something you're done using. Give something away that you love and bless someone else that you think would, would love it as much or more than you. Look through your stuff. It's one way to get rid of something and to do something good with it. Pay for somebody's lunch. I know many of us have done that before where um, you pay for somebody anonymously or even invite someone to lunch and pay for their lunch just to have conversations with them. Purge. This is the one people usually think about. Purge your stuff. So go home and start with a drawer or a closet or something and look at it and who's you guys would know this I don't somebody after my talk a couple weeks ago said you should have mentioned so and so the whole joy what's the joy lady's name nobody knows that what is it Marie Conda so she says uh, looking at your stuff is this thing spark joy in my life if it does then I'll keep it if it doesn't I'll get rid of it so look at your things for their usefulness uh, for their longevity, not for status, not for um, uh, image, all those kinds of things. But look for them for look at them for their usefulness and purge, get rid of things. Practice non-essential spending. Um, we've done this several times in our our family. Like for the month of April, all we're going to do is spend money on the things that we need. We're not going to buy anything, any wants for a month and just see how much money that's actually going places that it could go elsewhere. So those are just some ideas uh, to get started. If you think of something else, do something else. But what is one thing that you can do? That's what I'd like you to, to walk away with today. So to simplify is to eliminate the unnecessary so the necessary may speak. G.K. Chesterton says this about your stuff. He says there's two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more, and one is to desire less and less. Well, let me end with this story. Dr. Graham Scroggy, who was a gifted preacher, uh, preached on the Lordship of Christ at an event in, in England. He was a great speaker. He spoke powerfully that day, and after the crowd left, he saw a young college student seated alone. Uh, so he went up to her and asked if he could help. 
Dr. Scroggie, she said, your message was so compelling, but I'm afraid to truly make Christ Lord because I'm afraid of what he'll ask of me. Wisely, Dr. Scroggie turned his well-worn Bible to the story of Peter at Joppa where God taught him about his racial discrimination, his cultural discrimination. And three times the Lord dropped down a sheet with unclean animals to the Orthodox Jew and, he, and God said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And three times Peter responded, no, Lord. Dr. Scroggie tenderly said to her, you know it's possible to say no, and it's possible to say Lord, but it is not possible to say no, Lord. So I'm going to leave you with my Bible, and I want you to go into the other room, and I'll pray for you. And when you come out, I either want to see the word no scratched off, or I want to see the word Lord scratched off. And so he did, and when in prayer he felt the matter had been settled, he slipped back into the auditorium, and the young woman was weeping quietly. And Dr. Scroggie peered over her shoulder, and he saw the words no crossed out. And softly she was saying, he's Lord, he is Lord, he is Lord. So don't let the idea, the thought of stepping into this discipline of simplicity overwhelm you. Because there is no condemnation. Jesus speaks your name with love. He says, Jody, Jody. Abby, Abby. He says, your name with love. Let the anticipation of the delight of hearing and responding to his voice be your motivation. Share it with somebody and hold one another accountable to whatever the simple step is that you decide to take. And then be persistent. Don't give up. Realize there's a gap between desire and delight. Breathe deeply, walk slowly, and may the words of Jesus himself be an encouragement to you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls.